This morning's reading is from Paul's second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. Rather, they try to please their commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray for Gareth now as he comes to preach. Father God, thank you for Gareth. Thank you for his preparation. Pray you would anoint him by your Holy Spirit. Give us open ears, receptive hearts, Lord, to what you are saying through him. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Vanessa. Good morning. It is very good to be with you and to speak to you on this day. Uh, as has been mentioned, this is the second in our series, Refreshing the Vision. And so we're going to be speaking about making disciples, about what it means for us to be a church that prioritizes making disciples. Now, if you've been around St. Nick's a little while, and some of you have, uh, then you will be familiar with this language of making disciples. This is not a new value of ours. This is something that has been part of our vision, our DNA, for quite a while. And you may have also heard uh, this language in the context of the wider diocese who have a vision to grow disciples younger, wider, deeper. But I'm conscious that one of the things that comes with familiarity is maybe a sense of over-familiarity. And with a sense of over-familiarity can come frustrations. And I'm just conscious that there are potentially one or two distinct frustrations that may come from over-familiarity with this disciple-making language. The first is that we find ourselves wondering, is all of this talk of making disciples a modern obsession? Is this just the slogan of a 21st century church desperately trying to stave off decline and so coming up with some new language to try uh, and avoid that? Or the other frustration, I think, is not so much that we disagree with the core principle of making disciples, but rather that we really struggle to get a real sense of what part we would have to play in such a vision or in making that priority a reality in St. Nick's or indeed in the church more broadly. And I, and I hear that, and I get that. But I'm so struck by how, um, how much disciple-making is at the heart 
of Jesus' ministry and how core it has been throughout the church's history. Steve referred last week to Mark chapter 1, this day in the life of Jesus. And in Mark 1, moments after Jesus has first preached that the kingdom of God is near and he's invited people to respond, he goes out and he calls some disciples. He calls Peter and Andrew, James and John. He invites them to come and follow him. But not only does he invite them to come follow him, he invites them to come follow him and he will make them fishers of people. So that first invitation to become a disciple, to follow Jesus, comes also with the instruction to be somebody who would go and make disciples. So the invitation automatically comes with that instruction from the get-go. And this ministry of Jesus, which starts with calling and making disciples, also on earth ends with making disciples. Jesus' final words before his ascension in Matthew 28 is to the church, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Jesus and uh, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And again, this is maybe slightly simplistic logic, but one of the things I was reflecting on in relation to this passage and instruction is that when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, that's a pretty big job, and so it probably involves all Christians. If, you, if we're going to make disciples of all nations, that's probably going to need everybody uh, involved in that project, right? So as far as I can see, even if it sounds like a modern slogan, actually this whole talk of disciple-making is something that Jesus was really into from the very beginning. It appears at the start and the end of his earthly ministry. In fact, Jesus was so obsessed with making disciples that even after his ascension, he kept making disciples. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus himself confronts Saul on the road to Damascus, and then he invites him to not, to not only stop persecuting the church, but to be his instrument who would take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he not only confronts him, but he calls and he commissions Saul who becomes Paul. And here we are in 2 Timothy, and old man Paul is decades into a career of making disciples. In fact, 2 Timothy is, uh, is generally or often understood to be the last letter that Paul wrote. These are the last recorded words we have of Paul. And in this passage, he is speaking to, he's writing to his protege, Timothy. And he's giving him two basic instructions. Invest in your own discipleship and make disciples of others. He's saying to Timothy, if you are going to keep going and if the church is going to keep growing, then prioritizing your discipleship and the discipleship of others is paramount. And if you and I are going to be part of a church that keeps going and keeps growing, then making disciples needs to not only be a priority, but it needs to be in the absolute DNA of all that we do. And so drawing from this text that Vanessa read, I just want to draw out two features of disciple-making, two aspects that will enable us to be a church that makes disciples. And the two things that strike me, particularly in this passage, are intentional investment and gospel confidence. Intentional investment and gospel 
confidence. Uh, at the heart of this passage in verses 4, 5, and 6, Paul uses three kind of images, three metaphors. Verse 4, he talks about discipleship in relation to being a soldier. In verse 5, he talks about being like an elite athlete. And in verse 6, he talks about a hard-working farmer. And then in verse 7, he invites Timothy to reflect on these images so that God might give him insight. And trying to take heed of verse 7, I've been reflecting on these images and praying to God for some insight. And it strikes me that there's a couple of things that tie these images together. Um, they're all images that involve discipline. They're all uh, images that involve pursuing a particular goal. But the thing that really strikes me is that these are images in which... Um, that describe particular roles, particular roles that involve intentional investment in pursuit of a big picture purpose. Intentional investment that is inspired by a big picture purpose. They are roles that involve deliberate decisions in order to pursue particular outcomes. And I think there are two dimensions to this kind of intentional investment. The first is an internal dimension. And it seems to me that this is about, in the first instance, internal investment that leads to eternal endurance. Internal investment that leads to eternal endurance. In verse 1, Paul says to Timothy, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I love this phrase. Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in grace. I think this is a beautiful, succinct summary of what discipleship is. It's growing strong in grace. And it's a kind of phrase that can actually really help us avoid two very distinct dangers when it comes to talking about discipleship. The first uh, danger is on one hand, we can talk about discipleship and a life of discipline, and we can go down the road where the, we, we basically end up talking about sort of spiritual self-help, where if you can just find a few right rhythms and practices, then, then that is going to be the thing that kind of sorts you out and saves you. Not, that's not what uh, discipleship is about. On the flip side, the opposite danger uh, is that we are, as uh, Dallas Willard once said, we're not just saved by grace, but we're paralyzed by it. We're knowing that our salvation has got nothing to do with us. We think that there's therefore nothing that we should do as disciples. But as Willard would go on to say, uh, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And again, all of those images uh, that Paul uses in verses 4 through 6 or of images of real intentional investment, internal investment. Uh, investment that goes into a life of following after Jesus for the sake of a bigger picture and purpose. And it seems to me that if we are going to be uh, disciples that keep going, that are able to endure the battles and the blessings, the trials and the triumphs that come with Christian faith, 
then actually it's going to involve investment in an inner life that can sustain us and can endure the challenges that this world will have in front of us. Like the picture in Psalm 1 of a tree firmly rooted, we need to be constantly rooted in, uh, so that we might grow strong in the grace of Jesus. Now, this is not the time for me to go through all the rhythms and practices that are going to help us do that. But what we need to do is find a way of continually investing in our inner life so that we are constantly rooted and plugged in to that grace that Jesus offers so that we might grow strong in that, so that we might be sustained in the face of the struggles that are part and parcel of the Christian life. But it isn't just here. Paul here isn't just telling Timothy, you need to look after your own faith. You need to invest in your own discipleship. He is saying that, but he's also saying you are to invest in the discipleship of others so that they might invest in the discipleship of others and so on and so forth. And it's that process that leads the church from being a small group of Galilean Jesus followers to like a regional religious movement to what becomes this global explosive movement that means that you and I here today are talking about a 2,000-year-old letter that Paul wrote to Timothy about making disciples. And so as well as this dimension of internal investment, there's a second dimension which is about external investment that leads to exponential growth. There we go, there's plenty of tongue twisters there. So as well as internal investment that leads to eternal endurance, we're talking about external investment that leads to exponential growth. Paul says in verse two, the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. In other words, Share and teach the gospel to others who will share and teach the gospel to others who will share and teach the gospel. And one of the things that I'm struck by is that when you hear a task like, or when you hear a priority like making disciples, or when you hear a task like that in Matthew 28 of making disciples of all nations, it feels like this incredibly overwhelming task that is so beyond us, that is so impossible to imagine. How do you even start that? How do you even, how do you even begin something like making disciples of all nations? It just seems like almost an absurdly large vision. But I may be oversimplifying, but what it seems like Paul is saying to Timothy is, find some people to teach and invest in, and then they'll do the same. And if we keep doing that, then multiplication will lead to multiplication, which will lead to multiplication. Quick story. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, we were running Alpha, and there was one uh, guest on Alpha, and he was in a group that was led, I think, by um, John, um, John Buckley and Joe Tatum. And this guy was in his mid uh, early 30s, I believe. Um, he's a friend of mine now, but I'm just keeping his name out. And what was remarkable was that this was a guy who'd just come along to Alpha because he was uh, thinking about getting married in a church. But, but largely through the conversations 
and the investment of people like John and people like Joe, this person had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. He gave his life. He became a follower of Jesus. He became a disciple. And then a couple of years later, he found himself um, in Singapore, where he now lives and works. And, um, he f- and his dad came over to visit him, where he took his dad to a church Uh, to St. Andrew's Cathedral in Singapore. There, his dad had a life-changing encounter with Jesus, became a Christian, gave his life to following him, became a disciple. And now, his dad is working uh, in his, I think in his sort of, in in his early 60s, he's decided instead of retiring, he's now working for a local church, working with people uh, with addictions and challenges. And do you see how the effect of a few faithful conversations that John and Joe had with this person leads to his dad becoming a Christian, which leads to his dad serving the gospel and this ripple effect of encounters. I appreciate that when we hear words or phrases like making disciples, it feels and it can seem like a distant slogan chasing after a big, impossible vision that you and I might not really have any part to play in. But you have so much to offer those in this church and those outside this church that don't yet know Jesus. And so my invitation to you, my plea to you, is as Paul says to Timothy, go not and invest not just in your own inner life, but invest externally in those people who are potential followers of Jesus. If, if you would give your time, if you would share your story, if you would share something of your life with some of the people around you, then, then the impact, then the effect could go well beyond anything you would ever potentially predict when you started. I absolutely doubt that when John and Joe started their conversations with that guy in Alpha, that they really believed that three years later, that was going to lead to his dad becoming a Christian and working for a church. Conscious of time, and so as, as much as I believe in gospel confidence, I'm going to end instead with an image that I hope helpfully ties together these two, um, these two notions of, in, of investment that I've been talking about. Uh, in preparation for today, I've been reading a book called The Deeply Formed Life by Rich Velodas. And uh, he uses, I think, a beautiful image that captures something of how the church can be formed and can also um, be a community that makes deeply formed disciples. And the image that he uses is of giant redwood trees in California. And my understanding is giant redwood trees can grow kind of hundreds of feet in the earth. They're one of the largest breeds of trees in the world. The thing that's really intriguing about giant redwood trees is the way their root system works. These enormous trees have roots that go fairly deep, but maybe not as deep as you would expect. Um, But whilst they might only go down several feet, these roots extend hundreds of feet across. And actually what you have is in in forests of redwood trees is you have this 
uh, network of interwoven roots which are kind of tied together, which means the trees grow not just because their roots go down, but because their roots go across and they rely on the roots of other trees which help them to grow. And I think this is a beautiful image because it captures something of what the life of the church is. As you grow in grace, as you keep going in your faith, in your walk with Jesus, in your own personal discipleship, your roots will start to go down and they will start to get deep. And that will keep the structure of your discipleship strong. But also, I want to encourage you to let your roots go out to the side. Because when you do that, not only will you benefit from being kept up by the community around you, but actually your deeply rooted faith that I know so many of you have in Christ will have the effect of holding up other trees, other disciples, other people in this church and in this community. And so as a, as a younger Christian, if I could put it like this, as a Timothy to your Paul, my, the thing that I am um, appealing to you today is that you would not discount yourself from the big vision of making disciples, that you would not see that as something that is distant or, or irrelevant to you, but actually you would take your place as one of those deeply rooted trees whose roots might not only go down, but go out. And as we do that, and as roots go down and go out, then I believe that we will be a church that can and will make disciples.